everybody, it's Adam with IHP here with JC, the IHP staff for another episode of JC Unplugged. Um, we've got a new little set here, it's like Wayne's World. Yes, a new little set. Tonight show. So, featuring. <laughs> you remember we did that um, that uh, radio thing with Joey Antonio? That was years ago. Oh, we're missing the mics and the yeah. bands. I love, the, I love all yeah. the props. I like the radio because I definitely have a face for radio. Me too. So. I have the body of radio. <laughs> His face, my body, perfect radio. <laughs> What um, you were in China, just got back, and you're moving around like in five weeks and going, or six weeks and going back to China. Yeah, I got Peru early August, and then I've got China mid-August. Ugh, I just got the schedule today. They extended it three more days. But your trip to China this time is going to be a little bit different, isn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, this past trip, uh, we we had a remarkable uh, tour in China, and uh, it was one city, one gym, beautiful gym. It makes you appreciate the United States. That gym was on the third floor. They don't care about handicap, nothing in Europe and in Asia, bro. If you're, in, uh, if you can't giddy up three, four flights of stairs, you ain't working out. Dumb. You know, there's, there's your prerequisite. You want to work out? Do stairs. You can't do stairs. Can't work out. You know. So, anyways, uh, we were uh, at uh, Leo's gym, beautiful facility over there, and uh, we did three certifications back-to-back, -back, seven days. I mean, I got there uh, at night, did certification the next morning, went straight for six and a half days, finished at noon time, and at two, I was at the airport. I mean, it was just like that, that fast. And uh, now I'm back, uh, two cities this time, Shanghai and Beijing. We have FIBO, which is a huge international show uh, in Shanghai, and we have, uh, we are working with the China top team and UFC China. And we will be doing an MMA certification in Beijing. And uh, so it's going to be awesome. It is going to be very, very exciting. So we're really looking forward to this new trip uh, to, to China. It's going to be 10 days. Hard to hard, hard get there. At night, you're going the next morning straight, and you're done. And then you go to the airport. There's no time for the Great Wall. There's no time for the Shaolin Temple. I've been to China 22 times now, and I haven't seen the Shaolin Temple, which is one of my... Bucket list things to see. It is what it is. I'll get there. Want to answer some questions instead? No, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I need to rest for China. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's go. Question number one. In regards to a new performance coach, what would be the first concept that you would really like for them to understand? Hmm. Per performance coach. I would say <clears throat> if they have some experience with basic training, you know, just the basics. Uh, to learn coaching, to learn coaching. But the thing is, what is coaching? Now we have uh, uh, life coaches, we have performance coaches, and you ask what that is, and everybody has different uh, different ideas. But our coaching, our, our spiritual coaching, that's what people have to learn. But the thing is that nobody's teaching it because we don't have a system yet. So that's one of the things we're creating. So uh, performance coach, you know, everybody wants more paper, more paper. No paper. Stop with the paper. Get one paper. You got your choice, a degree or a big certification, and you're done, or maybe both. And then you're done. Not, not one more piece of paper, please. Uh, you got to start producing. And to produce, you got to get on the tarmac. You got to practice. And the best thing you can do to practice is you have to change the spiritual and mental state of your client and athlete so they can go the extra step. And going the extra step is is the accomplishment. It doesn't matter if it happens in a bench press or a 300. Yard shuttle. You got to get somebody 
to go that extra step without uh, looking at loving pain, loving the, the you know, the, the suffering. No, no, no. When you're in that, you're, you've already lost it. It's like pushing your stuff out of your mind trying to meditate. No, you don't push stuff out of your mind when you meditate. You let everything go. And if it comes in, you let it come in, do what it's going to do, and you let it go. That's meditation, right? And, and coaching is the same thing. It's trying to neutralize the individual so they don't process the emotions that they're feeling during hard work and associate them with something that already happened in their life which doesn't even exist anymore. And those are the limiting factors. That's what I, that, that, that concept is what I think a performance coach should first grasp. And it's an advanced concept, but they have to grasp it. If not, they're going to be right counters. So that, so that concept really is, comes down to what we've talked about a while now, what does an IHP performance coach do, is redefine the human will. Yes, and how do you do that? And how do you do that? Well, you do that by getting from 10 reps to 12 reps, but... What is the process? What is the mechanism? What are the teaching cues? That's the killer. And I don't blame people for doing what they're doing because there is no system. We're, we're developing the system now. There is no system that, that teaches that. Zero. We're the first ones to talk about defining, redefining the human will the way we talk about it. It's not pushing beyond loving pain or being able to ignore pain. It's none of that. It's none of that. It's none of that. So... Uh, I would, I would, if I was a coach, that's what I would be concentrating on, you know, and, and stay tuned to our stuff, listen to what we're doing, because I'm telling you right now, we've pioneered, we pioneered functional training, although we didn't invent it, we pioneered it without that, okay, this, this facility has done more pushing fun, functional training than any other training facility, not any other company, any other training facility, we have pushed more education and more products out of here, than any other facility in the world, hands down. And we're going to be pushing this, this performance coaching. We're going to be pushing, so stay tuned. Okay. All right, let's go to number two here. Um, what are your thoughts about having, or I'm not sure how to quite word this, but your thoughts about a personal training school the same way there's medical school and law school? It, it would be awesome, but we're so far away from that. So far. Uh, we're, we've got university programs creating professors. And, and I know this because I've been accepting interns since the 90s. Uh, Gary Lavin and Diane Davis. Diane Davis was my first intern coming from Florida Atlantic University in 1998, 1998, 1997. That puts us at 20 years doing this. And, the, and it's the same thing for 20 years. It's not a coincidence. You get an intern, and they're pretty much useless in, in a personal training world. Because the first thing they have to do is forget half of what they learned. Because they want to talk about ATP and glycolysis and glycogen and fast twitch and slow twitch and all this stuff. And they're, they're never going to learn how to train like that. They learn to be college professors. Every single one of them can teach a course at a university. But every single one of them could not train you. I have, I have not had one, one, not one intern that I have been able to let loose on a bad back or on a woman who wants to lose weight and on an athlete three straight hours. Bang, bang, bang. Most of them can't even warm somebody up because they're still doing the treadmill for five minutes and then some dynamic flexibility. And that burns 20 minutes of a session. You're training somebody for 60 minutes. you got to get going quick. 
What rules can you break? What rules can you not break? They don't know anything. So, a personal training school would be awesome. Who's going to run it? Who's going to validate it? What's, what system are you going to get? So we got 50 million certifications, all of them. People don't understand. Certifications are four-year degree curriculums compressed into a book and into a two-hour course. It's the same crap you're learning at the university. It's the same shit. So you're not, you're, you can get certified. How many CSCS people have we had in here with masters? Useless. Because they want to talk about fast twitch and, and, and slow twitch and glycolytic muscle groups and 2A and 2B. Are you kidding me? So yes, it would be awesome. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Well, we have programs out there like Dr. Abbott's Fitness Institute International. That's you know not quite at the level, I guess, of you know med school or law school, but he, he I would say undergraduate program, and he, he compresses it, compresses he, it in about a year and a half, pretty damn yeah, good. And he puts a wolf behind it too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I would say a, a, a vocational course like that would be ten times more effective than any certification I know of. I, I know, and certainly better than any four-year degree I know. Of. Well, I know we've had some people that have moved here from other states to take Dr. Abbott's course, even after they've gotten their exercise science degree, yeah. because. In their exercise science program, they told me that they did not have any practical work yeah. in their four-year degree of exercise science. I'm a graduate of that program, so I can speak, for, and I'm an and I'm, and I'm instructor or professor in that program. So I can speak for both sides of that program. And I took that program when Rio was a baby, when Rio was a year and a half old and two years old, because I needed to make money and I needed to learn this thing now. I didn't have time for four years. And I signed up for the four-year program at FAU. And Dr. Abbott's was what allowed me to get my ACSM certification, my CSCS uh, certification with no problem, without even studying, bam, right through it. And I aced the last two years of the exercise science and I audited two courses because I was helping the professors do uh, fitness testing because of Dr. Abbott's fitness testing course, which will attest to is a monster. You know? So yeah, Dr. Abbott, a vocational school like that that's really applicable is, is, is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful investment you save so much time, and you come out sharp. It's about a year and a half. Right? Yeah. Anyway, okay, let's go on to uh, number three. What, what you, we talked a little bit about in our staff meeting today, but what are some of your thoughts about giving back to the community to help drive business? I think you should give back to the community because you should give back to the community, period, end of story. Done. Uh, the fact that it has, if done with the right intent, if done with the right spirit, which is to give without, without expecting anything in return, that has unintended consequences, which is a presence in the community, um, uh, an exposure in the community, all right? And then, you know, you got to believe in karma, yeah, exactly. you know? So if you're, if you're out there showing your best, if you're out there with good energy, if you're out there helping people, how can that turn into anything negative? It's impossible. It's just impossible. So you should be giving, you should be giving to your community, back to your community for having the good fortune of, of having two legs, being able to walk, being healthy, having a great career, and so on and so forth. Period. End of story. And give, give, give to those who, who are not as fortunate as you. Now, you're hearing this from a guy who does not give money to beggars. And especially if I see them walking and hanging out on the highway for six hours in the sun, if you got that kind of strength, you should be working. So I will not give to one person like that. Sorry. And I'm sure that I should be giving because there's some hard cases, but as a rule, I do not give to anybody who's got the capacity to work. 
If you come into IHP and you say, I'm very hungry, you know, can, can, I, can I do something? Can I clean up outside? Can I do your windows? I'll give you 50 bucks for half an hour of work. No problems, but don't be leeching off society. That, that I, 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 you know, I, I draw a hard line on, and sometimes it's a little bit tough, and some, sometimes it could be brutal, but that's what I stand for. You know, you help yourself, and then, and then people will help you. If not, now there are instances where, you know, where I'll give to those who can't do anything. That's a lot of cost to Alright, see so what we got next. Uh, talk about a little bit, some good on some training topics here. What do you think about all this? Uh, it's becoming actually really popular. The hit circle band, abduction, abduction exercises, and how it plays a role in glute training. Yeah, man, I mean, Brett Contreras, the glute guy, has done a phenomenal job uh, at not only, not only showing all of this glute training from a scientific perspective. But uh, also, I think that his, his, best, his best attribute or, or uh, addition to the industry was to make these feminine exercises masculine. You know, the bands have been made a little thicker. Uh, now The Rock is doing hip thrust. Harrison from the NFL is doing hip thrust. I mean, these guys are doing hip thrust with 700 pounds. So all of a sudden, a hip thrust, which used to be a Jane Fonda type of Chick uh, exercise is no longer a chick exercise, but these monsters are doing it. And not only doing hip thrust, but showing that they're strong. Now, whether the hip thrust did it or not, it doesn't matter. It's part of their artillery, you know what I'm saying? And frankly, I've taken that, that intense training. I mean, I'm doing isometric holds. I'm doing eccentric, three-second pauses, ten-second pauses. So I'm adding a lot of oomph to AD, adduction stuff. Uh, and I can tell you that it works. I hurt my knees. I couldn't do anything in my knees. I still have my knees hurt. Uh, I still have my knees all messed up. And I started going really heavy on those exercises because they don't hurt the knees. And I came back uh, two months later and I was squatting two and a quarter for 20 reps like nothing. Actually, the pressure on the bar hurt me more than, than the leg stuff, you know? And I'm like, Jesus, what, what is, what's changed? And I didn't get it. My knees didn't hurt. Bodies go up and down, up and down, and I'm like, oh my God, my butt is now involved in a squat. And you hear about mood amnesia, which I think is a stupid thing, but if there's such a thing, I had it. You know, and because of the Olympic weightlifting, you learn how to squat front, pretty much front, and you pull with your back, and you, and you front squat with your knees. So, but you know, I was never a big back squatter, and, and I know those things work now. I've been using those glute exercises to get rid of that. I don't know what the mechanism is. I don't know if they're more likely to engage their glutes with a squat. It could be it could be 50 million things. All I can tell you is when I have people with bad back pain and I blast 80, 80 ducks, and that's real simple. You sit down, you lean back, you come up, you lean forward, you know, 10, 10, 10, 20, 20, 20, 30, 30, 30, and you just do that simple stuff. Forget about all the other stuff. That simple stuff, and I'm telling you. I've had people stand up and go, what just happened? And Augusto from Argentina came, he was lit up. I showed him, he did one set. It was like Iro with the uh, cable deadlift, right. with a sciatica for two months, does three sets of deadlifts with the cable. Next day he's running, he goes, this, the sciatica left after three sets of that and never came back. And he went to America. Well, same thing, Augusto comes in from Argentina, his back is all lit up. We do three sets, he goes, what is this? 
my pain is completely gone. So I would love that, and I think Brett Petraeus should be commended for not only being the blue guy, yeah. Beautiful asses around the world, but also resolving resolving a lot of a lot of issues yeah. because of his work. Yeah, that hip circle. Way to go, Brett! If, if, if you guys haven't used that hip circle out there, go to Amazon. There's a variety of versions. We use like the slingshot. That thing will light you up quick. Light you up. Yeah, we're getting our own versions. I got uh, samples coming in from uh, from outside of the country, and we're going to be creating our own uh, ass band. Yeah, it's called anatomical uh, uh, stability and strength band. Anatomical stability and strength. And there you have uh, the unplugged version of this. Huh? Yeah, I wasn't cursing. I used uh, I used an acronym. You call it whatever you want to call it. You said ass. I said, and then created an acronym. All right. Anti-rotation, what is it? How does it oh, work? please be anti-rotation. Jesus Christ. Anti-rotation was something that um, came from, I think, Stu McGill and then Mike Boyle. I don't know who mentioned it first, but it, it is a version of what we called, in 1997, I, I coined the phrase, training the invisible, all right? And it was, I, I created that from, a, from what Gary Gray taught me when I blew my ACL. And that is that if you stand... If you hold the structure asymmetrically and you apply forces from different angles, you can train a muscular system involved in a certain activity without doing the activity. So for example, if I'm standing parallel and I'm doing a press, okay, I'm training the anterior core. I'm, turning, I'm training the flexors without flexing. If I turn around and I do a row with a band standing, I am training the extensor chain without extending. If I have an isometric hold or a very short rotation with a band, I'm training rotation without rotating. And on and on and on and on. And you can, you can do that to any muscle group from a variety of positions. So we coined that training the invisible. Okay, we've been doing that for 20 years. Now, since of course nobody can use the phrase you, you, you use because automatically they would somehow credit you with coming up with something and that is, uh, that is a no-no in American society because nobody can give credit to anybody here. All right, people reinvent your stuff or somebody else's stuff and call it something else. You know, uh, the five pillars of human movement was created because the four pillars is not good enough, and somebody has to feel relevant and invent a fifth pillar without ever knowing why there were four pillars and the design behind that. And when you when you see the five pillars and you see what they did was separate pillar three into a push and pull separately and you go, listen, the reason it was like that is because in human body, there's an extensor and flexor mechanism and there's a push-pull mechanism that's built around one arm going forward, pushing, the other one coming backwards, and that's how you run, that's how you swing, that's how you throw, that's all that. That's why the third pillar is together. Push and pull. Push and pull. So, you know, so, and, oh, and they reverse the order because they can't even give you credit for that. So they started with rotation. I'm going, the reason it was for four pillars that way is because when you locomote, which is the most important pillar a human being has, bipedal animal, you change levels, you push, you pull simultaneously, and that causes rotation, and it happens in that sequence. Okay, so people just invent shit, all right, to make themselves feel relevant and to have a, 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 a 
something that they invent. Okay? So anti-rotation is an isometric thing that you do, all right, uh, that involves the rotational muscles, and we've been doing that for 20 years, so it ain't nothing new. So you call it uh, rotation in the absence of rotation. We're training the invisible. Training the invisible was a general concept. Because it's not anti-rotation, it's anti-flexion too. It's anti-extension. And that is very important. For example, if you're rehabbing a back, what's the problem with the rehab issue? They can't control motion. So what do you do? You take away the motion and you control an isometric contraction that works the same musculature. So if you can't put them on a ball like this, or you can't do a reaching lunge, or you can't do a, a, a hip hinge, the first thing you do is you roll, or you do a walkout, or you roll this way, and that basically is an isometric, okay, extension. It's an isometric extension. So you make the you, you make the structure stable and strong without moving it, because usually when there's when there's injuries, the movement sequence is the problem, because there's neural inhibition. Neural inhibition kills the neuromuscular efficiency of a movement. And if the neuromuscular efficiency of a movement it is involved in the stabilization of structures such as discs that have uh, nerves in very close proximity, then a sequential issue could be a problem. That causes pain. So you have to resolve that stability before you resolve the sequential issue. And that's how training the invisible came about. Here's your story. All right, two more, two more questions. Um, we see many trainers just beating up their clients with random exercises, random programming. Is there any value to this style of muscle confusion uh, in which clients just do a different workout every day? No, that's totally asinine. Okay, period. Question. Hey, you want, hey, you want to burn calories? You want to burn calories, just go to a hotel and walk down the stairs. Don't use the elevator. Done. Okay? Go, you know, just run 300s until you drop. If, if what you want to do is just burn calories, be, get behind a navigator and push it until your legs fall. That's it. But that's not really what we want. We don't want to burn calories. We want to burn calories with a purpose. Okay? So if you look at it, okay, burning calories is a rate of work. Okay? What, what you're doing per work, right? In, in, a, in a given time. Okay, the energy you're, you're, you're using up due to work. All right, so you have to go, okay, more work, more calories, all right? So what creates more work? You lifting more weight in a, an exercise because you've mastered that exercise both from a biomechanical perspective and from a psychological perspective. Because you gotta beat that exercise at both levels, right? So what would create more calorie expenditure? 10 reps, 10 sets at 100 kilos, or 10 sets, 10 reps at 80 kilos. Everybody will tell you, at 100 kilos. Okay, how do you get there? You get there through practice and practice and practice. You'll never be there if one day you do a squat, the next day you do a lunge, the next day you do a step up, and the next day you push the car. You'll never do that. You'll never do that. So if you want to create a stronger set of legs, Okay. Then you've got to choose two or three exercises and master them. Master them until you get all of the mastery out of the way and you can put a lot of load on that muscle. And that comes through practice. And that comes through the practice of basics. It's never some, some cockamamie, crazy-ass exercise. It's not that. It's usually the basics. 
You, you, if, you, if you look at any, any great athlete, they'll tell you, my success is predicated on the mastery of the basics. I stated the basics. It is. But people, you know, muscle confusion. What is that? No, you want your muscles educated. You don't want muscles confused. If they're confused, they're not working. So that's just a, that's a whole marketing thing, man. You know, it's yeah, shape weight shit. You know? This this um, I got a quote from you in one of your seminars that you taught. Someone asked, I think, about the same topic about muscle confusion. You're like, the hell with muscle confusion. I want movement memory. Yeah, muscle education. Okay. Yep. Perfection of movement leads to more work. More work, more calories. I close my case. Okay. Your Honor. All right, here we go. Last question. Uh, this has been good, by the way. You said everything. I'm inspired, and we're all in black. Look at this. Jesus. You can't cut tell where the where the floor ends, the table begins, and and, and we start. And look at the background. More black. Just by the white head. AC, AC, back in black. Let's go. All right, last question. What exercises would you use for a swimmer who wants to improve their distance per stroke? What exercises? Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we wouldn't escape from, from the normal stuff that we do. Uh, you got to have that Superman position, and so that can come through a variety of things. Your 45-degree bench is awesome. Your deadlifts are awesome, not only from, from a posterior chain, but also from a... Uh, off the block start, uh, your track start off the blocks, your your turn off the wall. So from all that perspective, that's all good. From a stroke, distance per stroke, you gotta have strong backs, you know, you gotta have good flexibility. So your swimmers, your pull downs, your rows, uh, your straight arm pull downs, all of those, your variations of single arm, double arm, your rope climbing, all of that is in. But uh, we have to we have to understand that when you're in the middle of the water, there is no fixed point like you are when you're playing volleyball. Even if you're playing in sand, at some point the foot stops sinking and there's a reaction point. Sure. And that's it, it's your foot, okay? Uh, so of course if you're on a court, if you're on grass with cleats and whatnot, that your, your fixed point is the ground. When you're swimming or when you're a diver, you know, uh, there is no fixed point. The fixed point, the origin of all force expression becomes the and there, okay, so, so how do you propel? Through the kick and through your arm stroke. Okay, what's the kick attached to? The legs. What's the legs attached to? The hips. What's a, the hips attached to? L5. So that epicenter of, you know, uh, the, the SI joint and, and the lumbar spine, that epicenter becomes extremely important. All right, all right, so now your arm stroke, where, where's that coming from? Your lat. Where's that attached to? Pelvis and lumbar spine, all that fashion. So that epicenter, what we call the core, is very important. Very important to have stable so that lat can pull on it and propel you forward. And so the legs, whether you're using a frog kick or, or a standard kick, whatever you're using, they can propel you forward. And you have to understand that a strong core also helps your lat. Here, can we, uh, can we adjust this real quick? This is a little... Very novice, uh, you know, if you got somebody here, I'm going to try to draw thick, you know, so. Right? 
So let's say you're here, right? There's, there's a couple of things. There's, there's four forces you got to deal with. Propulsion, okay? Drag, weight, and buoyancy. Got it? So these are the four forces that a swimmer deals with. The propulsion is lat and legs. The faster you can flutter with your legs, this goes up. The more erect you can stay and the longer you are here while keeping this stable, the better line you have. What happens is, no matter how hard your stroke is, if your legs get tired or if you can't maintain this line, this body starts to drop. When the body starts to drop, your drag increases. So imagine that, you know, all right, this is a tired guy, no, no, uh, no core, very tight here, lack of strength up top, no, no juice in the legs. Got no juice in the legs, this is not going up. When you kick, this goes up and this holds it and this allows it. This, can you imagine, increases your drag. There's more of you dragging underneath the water. So maintaining a line is an easy way to get more of your stroke without even improving your stroke. So by reducing the drag. And the drag is reduced by two things. Lengthen anterior, strong posterior, and then good, good flexibility, I mean good uh, endurance of the legs. So you can keep that, that one. So you've got to improve this. This is easy. This propulsion from up here, it's easy. It's all your, all your rows, all your pull downs, variations, everything that we do. Uh, you love that kneeling pull down that you can do with a cable, you can do it with different exercises. We do, we do it with the kinesis, and if you can do that alternating, that's awesome. We do a series of uh, rollouts that we did yesterday for the video. And so we do swimmer rollouts, we do pass throughs, we go up high to lengthen this and give you that good. If, if, you're, if your lat is short, and when you do this, you have extra extension because it pulls this way on your lat then you get more drag. If when you pull, okay, this goes into extension, and I'm talking about a little bit, when this arm pulls, if this is not stiff enough, and this goes this way, it's like stepping in sand, okay? This actually moves, but nothing happens, because the initial thing that happens is spinal extension, because it's bringing the, the, the spine to the arm instead of the arm to the spine. So this has to have the right blend of flexibility in the front and stiffness in the back at the right time so this can get out here, all right? And when you pull, it's a net pull. So that's, um, that's kind of what we, we look for in swimmers from, a, from a, a, an efficiency standpoint and a power standpoint. It's nothing, it's nothing crazy, you know? With the swimmers, at the end of the day, it's gonna be just like the fighters. All right, are you fast enough for 25 meters? Yeah, I'm at the state record for the first 25 meters. What happens in the second? 25, or what happens in the next 75 meters? Oh, well, you know, I start dropping back at the drag. They're, they're getting tired. They're getting tired. Back we go to redefine the human will. If, you can, if you're fast enough the first 25 meters, if you're fast enough the first 25 meters, then you're fast enough. You just don't have the conditioning to keep it the next 75. And that's a matter of what you're willing, willing to do willing to do in practice that whatever biological and biomechanical changes take place and whatever spiritual and mental things take place, which I think are the biggest. Because if it was biological and, and physical, you wouldn't be fast enough the first 50 out of 100. You wouldn't be. 
We go, I, I just need power. Okay, at that point in time, strength is, strength is what we need. But you've got to get to strength the same way you get to muscular endurance. The same way you get to power endurance. you got to, you got to will it. you got to will it. you got to drive it. What your spirit is willing to drive is what your mind is willing to accept and what your neural system is willing to input. You know, that's all learned behavior and it's all a culture. You go to a weak gym, you're going to be weak. You can't be a champion out of a weak gym. It's not, it's in the culture. That's why, that's why our women will out-train most men in other gyms. Because we don't see women as women. We see people here. We train bodies and we ask for everything you've got. We don't ask for much. We just ask for everything you've got on that day. That's it. But that, it's not what you don't have. We don't ever ask what you don't have. Give me what you got. And then when you sell yourself short, that's where we're intervening. That's where we're intervening. Show you that you're selling yourself short. And say, I don't want what you don't have. Okay? If you're five foot six, I don't want you to be five nine. Can't ask for that. But I want you to give me what you've got. And I know what you've got. And it's not this, it's more. And the process of getting that. That's, that's the sweet spot of coaching, man. That's the shit. If you can't get excited about that, go work with computers or you know, being fashion or some shit. <laughs> well, this is a good one. This got a lot of information. I came back from China. I'm on, man. I'm on. A lot of information. We're finishing. Oh, we're finishing um, the photo shoot. If we if we do our business right, which I'm going to plan right after this, we finish our photo shoot for our uh, next uh, book that's going to be released November, December time period right. on programming. That shit is off the hook. We've shot 4,000 plus pictures, and that book alone is going to have, I don't even know how many programs, about 100 different programs. Yeah, everybody's going like, I don't know, we've been shooting for hours, for two weeks now, but it's going to be worth it. We're going to a party here that this place has never seen when we release that book. Okay, then. All right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks, next episode of JC Unplugged. Peace! Peace.